is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. In a short televised speech, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, said that Wagner mercenary troops, who do not wish to enlist in the Russian army, could join the group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, in Belarus. Earlier, Mr. Prigozhin posted his first message since he called off the short-lived uprising. In an 11-minute audio message, Mr. Prigozhin said that the purpose of the mutiny was not to overthrow Russia's leadership, but rather to avoid the destruction of Wagner. He added that his troops had not yet signed contracts with Russia's defence ministry. Earlier results in Guatemala's presidential election put Sandra Torres, the leader of the central-left UNE party, and Bernardo Arevalo of the leftist seed movement ahead in the polls. The election will now go to a runoff on August the 20th. The process has been riddled with controversy. Carlos Pineda, the surprise early frontrunner, was barred by electoral authorities. Hezbollah, a Lebanese militia come political party, said that it shot down an Israeli drone in Lebanese airspace. The Israel Defence Forces said that the drone fell during a routine surveillance activity. It is the latest in a series of incidents along the Lebanese-Israeli border. Earlier this month, Lebanese protesters threw stones at Israeli soldiers along the border. They were dispersed with tear gas. Boris Pistorius, Germany's defence minister, announced that his country will station a brigade which consists of around 4,000 soldiers permanently in Lithuania. The move will be in line with NATO's attempts to strengthen the protection of its eastern flank. Germany has been reluctant to commit to permanent protection. Last year it promised a brigade to Lithuania, but only around 20 soldiers were actually stationed there. Israel's government endorsed plans to build 5,700 settlements in the occupied West Bank, bringing the total approved this year to more than 13,000, a record. Some settlements built in the 1990s were retroactively recognised. Last year, before Benjamin Netanyahu's right-wing nationalist government assumed power, around 4,500 settlements were approved. The yuan slipped to a seven-month low of 7.2 against the dollar as markets opened on Monday. China's currency has been in gradual decline since America's Federal Reserve began to raise interest rates to curb inflation. China's central bank could raise rates in tandem to stabilise its currency, but has not done so for fears that this would further hamper the country's faltering economy. Japan's government announced that it would purchase JSR Corp, which produces compounds crucial for semiconductors, in a deal worth $6.3 billion. The company is the world's largest maker of photoresists and also produces other important materials. The move should help Japan retain control of its part in the global supply chain for chips, over which America and China have been scrapping. And figure of the day... $5 million, the prize pot for the Women's Tennis Association finals in 2022, compared with $15 million for the men's equivalent. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
Prigozhin's Murky Future Much is still unknown about the agreement that ended Yevgeny Prigozhin's short-lived mutiny. On June 24th, the Russian mercenary commander and his Wagner Group troops stopped 200 kilometers from Moscow. In a deal supposedly brokered by Belarus's dictator, Alexander Lukashenko, Mr. Prigozhin was promised safe passage to Belarus and an amnesty if he turned around his armored column. But beyond that, confusion reigns. Some reports say that the charges against Mr. Prigozhin still stand. It is not even clear where Mr. Prigozhin now is, though one report had him cited at a hotel in Minsk. In authoritarian Belarus, Mr. Prigozhin is unlikely to take any prominent political, let alone military, role. If the Kremlin divides and rules, Mr. Lukashenko flattens. Quote, Lukashenko is too sensitive about matters of internal security to give a mutineer too much power, says a Belarus analyst. Another question is what happens to the 3,000 to 5,000 core members of Wagner who marched on Moscow. Crunch time at SCOTUS One year after it scrapped abortion rights and expanded the right to bear arms, America's Supreme Court is wrapping up another big term with decisions on a litany of contentious cases. While several members of the six-justice conservative majority have crossed the aisle in recent rulings, upholding protections for voting rights and Native Americans, comedy among the nine judges may be harder to come by with the remaining judgments. Four decades of allowing universities to consider race in admissions seem to be on the chopping block. President Joe Biden's plan to relieve borrowers of up to $20,000 of student debt may be scuttled, too, if the justices deem the plaintiffs eligible to challenge it. A Christian web designer's plea not to be forced to make wedding websites for gay couples seems likely to prevail, as does a Christian postal worker's challenge to a requirement that he work on Sunday. In all, ten legal tangles stand to be resolved this week, with the first rulings appearing on Tuesday morning. Process reports its dependence on Tencent. On Tuesday, Process, a Dutch tech investment firm with a stock market value of 130 billion euros or 205 billion dollars, is expected to report a drop of more than 40% in its annual earnings per share in the year to March. Rising interest rates partly explain why the market capitalization of the company, Europe's 10th largest, has plunged since its peak in February 2021. In January, Process and its parent, Naspars, a South African conglomerate, said they were together laying off nearly a third of their workforce. Process has a 26% stake in Chinese internet giant Tencent. That investment, first made in 2001, underlies the firm's stock market gyrations. Tencent's profits have been falling, dragging down Process's returns, and some shareholders have questioned Process's dependence on a single company. Though a recent rally in tech stocks, fueled partly by optimism over AI, has led Process to recover a third of its peak losses, it is slowly selling its Tencent stake to fund share buybacks. Investors will want to know whether it can pull off its new look. Trump's Latest Court Battle Donald Trump's busy lawyers are back in court on Tuesday. They hope to convince a judge in a New York district court to move one of the former president's cases over the alleged cover-up of payments to Stormy Daniels, an adult film actress who claims she slept with Mr. Trump, to a federal court. In April, Manhattan prosecutors charged Mr. Trump with 34 counts of falsifying business records. The indictment accuses him of reimbursing hush money payments that were made by his lawyer to Ms. Daniels just before the 2016 election.
Mr. Trump's checks, paid in 2017, were written off as legal expenses. Mr. Trump's lawyers assert the, quote, alleged scheme, which they deny, could only violate federal laws, not state ones, and that because, as president, Mr. Trump was a, quote, federal officer, he must be tried in a federal court. Moving the case would expand the jury pool from Manhattan, which is predominantly Democrat, to include some suburbs with more Republicans, and it would probably delay the trial. If it stays in Manhattan, the trial is set to begin on March 25, 2024, right in the middle of primary season. Charleston looks to its past. Gadsden's Wharf, a former shipping pier in Charleston, South Carolina, is not a particularly well-known destination. For many tourists, the quayside is merely a good place to relax or catch a ferry. But it is also where 40% of all the enslaved Africans transported to America first disembarked. Consequently, on Tuesday, the International African American Museum opens on the waterfront. The $100 million project, first announced in 2000, traces the history and impact of Africans in America, telling a story of trauma and triumph from the horrors of the Middle Passage across the Atlantic to the present day. A Confederate flag still fluttered above Charleston State House as late as 2015 when nine black churchgoers in the city were shot and killed by a white supremacist. The flag was swiftly removed, and three years later the city apologized for its role in the slave trade. Charleston has begun grappling with its past, but has not nearly finished. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Tuesday, which slogan devised by James Carville was designed to keep the Clinton presidential campaign focused on bread and butter issues? Monday, which 1951 Hitchcock film was based on a Patricia Highsmith novel? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Helen Keller, who was born on this day in 1880. The bulk of the world's knowledge is an imaginary construction. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.